1944, World War II, Santa Polcro, Italy. British Army officer Captain Anthony Clark and his men were outside the city. And a young boy walked by and Captain Clark asked the young boy what was the name of the city. And the young boy said it's Santa Polcro. And Captain Clark knew that he understood from history this city was important. Now they thought some of the enemy was inside the city, but he held his men back and said, don't attack, give them a chance to leave the city. And they asked him why. And he said, because inside this city is the greatest painting of all time. Sure enough, they waited till the next day. They entered into the city, went straight to the museum and found this picture here painted by Piero Francesca, 1463, The Resurrection. It's a picture of Christ and the reason it is so celebrated, it is not simply an empty tomb, but it's Jesus holding a banner there and the fainted soldiers before him. And it's a proclamation of the king victorious. Now, pop culture, people know the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper, but historians for centuries have said Piero Francesco's resurrection is the greatest painting of all time. Fascinating. The greatest painting of all time is a painting of Christ victorious. Now, as we leave Easter behind and we move into this new season here in spring, we still want to stop and look at today because today is often recognized as the day that Thomas would come to believe in Christ a week after Easter. You know, Easter, a huge holiday in our culture, you know, two and a half billion dollars was spent on candy. That's more than candy bought on Halloween. The challenge is once Easter is over, do people stop and then absorb what the real meaning is? Because it's not simply the empty tomb. The promise, as we'll see, is he's not risen indeed from the dead. That is the truth. But he's also risen then to live in your life and in mine very literally. So let's look at what happens a week after Easter. John 20, we're told Thomas, known as the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them. Thomas is called the twin. We don't know why. It's one of those mysteries of scripture. But where was Thomas? Why was he not there that Easter morning? Well, Thomas was himself grieving and he was in isolation, probably at his own house. He wasn't with the other disciples. He had lost his friend, he'd lost his teacher, and he'd lost his hope. We have to remember Jesus didn't simply die, but Thomas knew and watched he'd been beaten and whipped and crucified and went through this trial. So all these things were happening for Thomas. I think it's put very well by David Coffey, a pastor who on Good Friday, his wife became ill, having a heart attack. They spent the weekend in the hospital. It was touch and go. He knew Easter was on Sunday when he was supposed to give a sermon, but he said this, I wrestled with the question, how can I celebrate Easter when I'm living Good Friday? So here we come past Easter, and we're going to look at Thomas, and a lot of people identify with him very well and for good reason. It's important to remember he's not simply doubting, he's searching, and he's afraid of hoping like we all wrestle with sometimes because people believe if I get my hopes up, I'm risking getting hurt again. But we have to go past that fear like Thomas did and put our faith in Christ. I love this article here by Low Pont talking about trees. And he says this, you know, what good is a tree? When the roots of trees touch, there's a fungus present that reduces competition. This fungus helps to link the roots together, even from trees of different species. A whole forest may be linked together. 
If one tree has access to water, another to nutrients, and a third to sunlight, the trees have means to share with one another. Like trees in a forest, Christians in a church support and need one another. What you're going to find here is Thomas is alone, but the disciples, they don't leave him alone. And we are meant to be the strength one for another, to bring those nutrients and that light into somebody's life when they're wrestling in that place, whether it's a a good Friday moment, they're in the valley, questions and doubts and fears, or maybe that's you today. But if you notice what happens next, the other disciples, we are told, John 20, the other disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Thomas mourning, grieving by himself. The other disciples, they find him and they say, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. That's the picture of supporting one another. Perhaps you're in the place needing to be encouraged, or maybe you know somebody needs to be encouraged and you're the one to come along into their life. You don't have to have big theological words or study hard to simply say, you know what? I've seen Jesus and he can meet you where you are and he is the answer to your life and my life. Hudson Taylor in the 1800s started missions in China, but he didn't simply go as a regular missionary. What he did is he moved to China. He partook of their culture, started to dress like the people that he lived with, cut his hair like the people he lived with, celebrated their culture. So a lot of people then study how he reached so many people by meeting other people where they were at. I love his quote though. I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked God if I could help him. Finally, I ended up asking God to do his work through me. That is the life in Christ, him doing his work through us, him working in us. Whether you're in the place where you're doubting, you need somebody else to come along and speak to you and say, I've seen Jesus. Or maybe you're the one to encourage somebody in a place of difficulty. You know, it only takes that simple place of sharing, I've seen Jesus. I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you what I know about him. Anthony Collins, a philosopher and a deist in the 1600s, He wrote about a life-changing moment, seemingly simple, he said, but this moment changed his life. He believed God existed. He just didn't believe that you could know God or that God cared. And he said this, one day I was walking down the street. I passed a man and I asked him, where are you going? To church, sir, he replied. What are you going to do there? He told me, worship God, sir. I asked, is your God a great God or a little God? He is both, sir, he replied. I said, how can he be both? And he told me, he is so great, sir, the heavens cannot contain him, and so little he can dwell in my heart. You see, that's the promise again. Christ rose, but now he liveth in us. Greater is he in you than he that is in the world. Literal, Christ living in you, but the temple of which we are now can only contain one God, and self cannot rule in Christ dwell there too. We have to surrender completely unto him to die with him, be raised with him and his life raised in us. And now he is the one to live in the temple, the Lord of all. Now, if you go back to John 20, we're told this, Thomas said those immortal words, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand in his side, I will not believe. But I love this quote here. And I hope that some really take this to heart. Sherry Gregg said it well. Jesus can handle your doubt. 
you know, Thomas again would have been alone. He's mourning. He's grieving. The disciples find him. He's fearful, afraid to get his hopes up. And he says, you know what? I don't believe it. Some people here today may not believe it. And it's time to simply be honest with God and bring those doubts to him. Like the man told Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Because what counts with God is honesty. And if you're in that place of darkness and doubt and fear, just simply be honest. You don't have to put religious language on it and try to say what seems like the right things. Just say, you know what, God, I'm doubting, struggling. Meet me where I am. Now notice, here's where we catch up today. Continuing John 20, a week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. It's a long time to go. It's been eight days now, and Thomas has still not believed. He's watched everybody else testify, but his experience now, he still doubts. And here's what happens next. Then Jesus appeared to them in a locked room and said, Peace be with you. Peace, shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. From doubt to faith. Why? Partially because his friends were there to talk about their own testimony. And then the reality is he had the revelation of Christ. And he proclaims my Lord and my God. You see, the doubts, Jesus didn't condemn him in that. He simply told him, you know what? Believe, Thomas. And belief in Scripture is not simply to give mental acknowledgement. It's to know something intimately in your heart by experience. Know by experience the reality of Christ in your life. Again, the tomb is empty. He answered the question that's the greatest question people have said to ask in philosophy. You know, has anybody beaten death and have they made a way for me to do it? And Christ is the yes to that question. But he also then came to give us life here in this moment. And Thomas, he says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas proclaims my Lord and my God, which is why Matthew Parker puts it so well. Thomas went a whole week before seeing Jesus I'm sure it was the longest week in his life. He had to endure each day not knowing if he should be mourning or somehow trusting this impossible thing all his friends were saying might be true. And then a week goes by and he's with the disciples in a locked room and Jesus appears and stands among them and says, peace be with you. He turns to Thomas and challenges him, offering to fulfill Thomas' conditions, allowing Thomas to touch his wounds. Jesus says to Thomas, Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, Thomas does not need any more proof. Thomas doesn't need to touch his wounds after all. Thomas here makes the boldest confession yet in an act of worship. The other disciples had called him rabbi, teacher, healer, even Messiah. All those were true, of course, but Thomas cuts to the chase and in a moment of profound relief and release and revelation says to Jesus, my Lord, and my God. You see, that's moving from simply acknowledging something to knowing it by experience. You might be in a place where you're wrestling and say, you know what, it still feels like the darkness. 
Just simply be honest and know that Christ meets you there. Because when he rose, he said, all, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And then he said, and I shall never leave you nor forsake you. How is it he shall never leave us nor forsake us? That's why we go back to Colossians 1.27 so often, where Paul says this, God has chosen to make known among us the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, he rose, poured out his spirit on all flesh, and now literally dwells within you and me. We are meant to be the container, the vessel, and he liveth in us. Why? To be our hands and feet, to speak his word through our mouth, to send us where he wants us to go and say the things he wants us to say. You see, death has been defeated and sin has been defeated, but also... The mystery now revealed, he lives in you. He lives in me. Because he lives in you and in me, we can never be forsaken. Because he is always with us. And our job is to simply die to self and allow his life then to be lived through us. If you study the book of Hebrews, it says that he, our high priest now, intercedes on our behalf. And part of that intercession is that he died once for all, and so we are perfected now. And that consciousness of sin should be a thing of the past, because why? By his one offering, he cleansed sin, past, present, future. And believing that is coming to a place to say, you know what, I don't just acknowledge it in my thinking, I believe it in the sense of knowing it by experience. It's not about being good enough. We can't be in our own, but it's knowing that it is finished in Him. And if it's finished in Him, well, then we have perfect peace. We have nothing missing, nothing broken. We have rest because there's no more battle to wage because sin has been defeated. Now we are cleansed. You see, Easter, the holidays, the week ago celebration with all the candy People most know it as a time to say, yes, the tomb is empty. Yes, that is true. But after that, it's to recognize all power in heaven and earth has been given to Christ, the victorious one. And then he gave that same strength and presence to us, dwells within our hearts. You go back to John 20. Here's what it says next. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath and spirit are the same thing. Here's something else he gave us at the resurrection. He breathed on the disciples. He gave his breath to us, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. Well, what does that entail? It entails the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, there's so much more than the proclamation that he is risen That is the beginning part. That is the most amazing thing in all of history. But also, he says, now I give you my peace. I give you the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I give you my presence to never leave nor forsake you. And he dwells within us. So if you're in a place of doubt, just be honest and allow him to then speak into that place of doubt. If you're in a place of just darkness and questions, be honest in that place and allow him to speak into that area. And become a place We can say, Lord, let me know it by experience, the promise of who I am in Christ. 
Ernie Arnold put this together using the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's very valuable. And I hope you'll take a few minutes as we close here to use this, not just today, but just let it come to mind. And and you don't have to remember all these, but simply stop and remember that when Jesus breathed on them, he gave them then the gift of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so Ernie Arnold said this, just take a breath and breathe in and ask for one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Breathe in love. Exhale hatred, malice, and sin. Breathe in joy. Exhale sorrow, pain, and anxiety. Breathe in peace. Exhale hate, discord, and frustration. Breathe in patience. Exhale indifference, intolerance, and impatience. Breathe in kindness. Exhale hostility, meanness, and harshness. Breathe in goodness. Exhale cruelty, evil, and wickedness. Breathe in faithfulness. Exhale falseness, inconsistency, and disloyalty. Breathe in gentleness. And exhale hardness, roughness, callousness. Breathe in self-control. Exhale instability, rashness, and self-centeredness. Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. But then he gave us so much more included with those incredible promises. That now by one offering we are perfected for all time. That now by one offering we shall never be forsaken. Now by one offering our sins are forgiven. Now by one offering his breath now in you and me. And that breath, the gift of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's why we proclaim week to week. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And in that place of knowing by experience the promise in the life of Christ, then may we be the voice to come along to somebody else in their time of need and say, listen, I have seen Jesus. Like the trees that give nutrients one to another, may we be supporting those around us and come back moment to moment and just breathe in gift of life, the promise of all the fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and just exhale all that is sin and darkness and know that your true life is found in Christ who is the life. Truly, He is risen. He is risen indeed.